0: Hello, I'm Daniel Roth, co-founder of Heal Story. Welcome to the pilot season of the Heal Story podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken some of these precious minutes of your day to join us and begin this journey into ancestral healing. After you enjoy the episode, we invite you to become an official part of this new Heal Story community. Find us on patreon.com backslash Heal Story Help us build a storytelling platform that honors all of our ancestors. Thanks so much again, and I really hope you enjoy this pilot episode. Welcome to Heal Story. Heal Story is a global community of storytellers remembering the profound and healing connection to their own lineage. In this episode of Heal Story, Victoria Buffalo Robe shares a powerful story about matriarchal lineage, a unique relationship to plant medicine, and much more. We met up with Victoria in her living room in British Columbia. Victoria's story unfolds across the western provinces of Canada, from Saskatchewan to Alberta to British Columbia. Victoria's story weaves together powerful themes from across her life, from the power of the women in her family, to their relationship with land and plants, to the intense family trauma of Canada's oppressive residential school system to Victoria's own creative life path as a modern businesswoman and mother. Thank you, Victoria, and welcome to Heal Story.
1: My name in Cree is Ka and I am named after a horse. At Quill Lakes, there are four horses that guard the Quill Lake, which is the Salt Lake uh, in the middle of Saskatchewan. It's interesting, it's flooding right now. I went back to go and see it. I took a dip just to kind of spiritually connect with my namesake and, and that kind of thing. It was years ago. It was really wild. The water was freezing and it was all rocks. And I couldn't get to shoreline I just couldn't get to it and I had not planned for it so I'd stripped down and walked down to the shoreline and and I couldn't get to it so I crouched down and so I started speaking to the lake and just let them know that I was here and I wanted to say hello and that I wanted to thank them for all of the guidance and, and the direction that had come from that honor of being named after such a great being and all of a sudden the water swelled the waves started slowly but they grew and they built so that my entire body was covered with water up to my chin in the last well in the last wave and it said hi to me in return i thought that was pretty i thought that was significant of some of some kind i mean i try not to read into things too much because it can get really weird really fast <laughs> if you're spiritually inclined like there's a lot of things you can read into that you don't need to that, on the other hand, was one of those times where I thought there might be something to the spiritual connections to things here. It's pretty special. My uncle was waiting for me on the shore and I was over the moon. I was like, did you see that? He said, hello. And he was like, "Hmm." I always noticed that like in first Nations style, we don't we're not over the moon about things that happen that should be commonplace. And that was a given. Of course they would say hi and wash me and physically connect. Um, uh, anyway, that was that's one of the stories I have around my name. But yeah, Kamiosit is my name. Was born Sarah Hazel Evelyn Boyd, and Sarah Hazel Evelyn are my grandmothers. Named after all my grandmothers. Boyd is my grandmother's married name, and Charles Beverly Boyd was my grandfather. So that's my European lineage, uh, Celtic and Scottish. Anyway, my grandmother kept her last name twenty some odd years after the divorce when I was about 14 she decided she's changing her last name and instead of going to LaPlante which would have been her father's last name she decided to connect with her great grandmother and hopefully I'm not butchering it but her name was de which means Buffalo Robe She decided that she was going to translate that and use that as her own last name. And my aunt and my mom followed suit. And I was 14, so I was like, well, I'm changing my entire name. And I decided that I was going to be Victoria Somber Buffalo Robe. I imagined myself maybe being an actress at that point, (laughs) having that as my stage name. I recall really early on understanding Cree as well up until about while I was six when my mom moved me away from Regina um, and moved us up to Whitehorse yeah I miss the sound The, the Cree language is really beautiful and my grandmother could speak it well she knew it. She knew it then, and it was a pretty clear thing. Like you should know your language. Um, I don't know anything in Cree. Tansay, like, my own name, you know, just some just a few things. But yeah, I've lost my language. Ceepee. He's duck. (laughs) I remember that. Yeah. With my attempts to go back to school a couple times and learn it, I've had tapes and there's so many apps and organizations online making that movement. Like, we need to claim this back. Yeah, I think that would be my next step really to connect with my own family history, start speaking my own language. Churches and the government in partnership created schools called residential schools where First Nations children, Indigenous children of Canada and North, anywhere in North America were mandated to attend. The mission was to kill the Indian and the child. To assimilate and to conquer culture in order to control it.
0: Our ceremonies, sweat lodges, even rendering a prayer in a Creed, we were punished severely.
1: Like uh, we got a big web belt that's supposed to hit you on the hands, but they hit you right up here. mandated that your children had to leave home and live at the school and often just go home in the summer and have absolutely no access to their parents or family. Even siblings were separated. You couldn't speak to anybody. Yeah, you couldn't speak to anybody in your family. feel what's happening with first nations people is that we are ashamed of something that we have no guilt or shame to carry for. It's like as a community, people feel ashamed. First nations people at, you know, like the state of our culture, the state of our communities. It's like, we're acting out a shame that isn't ours. We're wearing a shame that it's not ours to bear. We didn't do this to us. we, are in it, we're in the, we're in the soup, but we're not responsible for the genocide. So Hazel, my great-grandmother, understood if she gave up her status and that she had no affiliation with the reservation, could dictate where her last four children that were at home would go to school. So without having status and living on private property and near the white school, they called it a day school because those children got to go home to their parents at night. Uh, She understood that if she made that move, she would be able to keep her four youngest daughters at home. So as a result, my grandmother, Evelyn, went to day school, which is pretty powerful. I come from a pretty strong natural backbone. Like these women weren't messing around. So my great-grandmother bought that property in Coahuacatoos. And I remember my grandmother talking about the, the progress she's made in her life. And she said, I was raised in a mud hut girl like i i was the girl i was raised in a mud hut girl like she had to patch up her walls and this is canada it used to blow my mind I was just like what doesn't make sense so that property in kandahar was a mud hut because maybe that's all they could afford after buying that property i don't know My grandmother tells a story about how um, it was farmland and there was planes that would fly by, uh, small planes that would be used for fertilizing or pesticides or whatever it may have you, and it dove at her. And she was terrified. She was running for her life, thinking, like, this plane is going to kill her, and she dove. Into the grass and like wherever she was, and tried to hide from it. And I wish I knew how old she was, but I don't. But at the time, she told me that she said to herself, Fuck you, first of all, (laughs) because she was really mad that she had been terrorized that way. But on the other hand, she's like, One day I'm going to fly one of those. You watch, I'm going to be the one in that plane. And so fast forward, I guess, I think she was 17 or 18, finished high school. She joined the Air Force. She was a radar attendant and had a lot of responsibility in guiding planes in and out. And then later on, got her own pilot's license. And with Bev, my grandfather uh, ran an airport out of Ontario. And you know, I I really I question whether or not, you know, if she was the first First Nations woman to ever fly? Or the first First Nations woman to ever own an airport? Was it ever talked about? I don't think so. most intimate moment I ever had with her that I can recall. And I had been out playing and it gotten really dark and I came in and I I was sick. I had a cold or a flu the next day, whatever it was, and I was really sick and I couldn't go play so I was super sad. And Hazel had Vicks, I think it was Vicks, it smelled like Vicks, it's my... I don't know if she made it or not. So she was rubbing Vicks on my chest and on my back. And... She said nothing, but she was murmuring something. And I wouldn't know if from the hole in the ground what it was, or if it was just maybe my imagination. But she never touched me before that. And... I woke up, it was like nothing ever happened. I was not sick anymore. I jumped out of the bed and I was running around like, like I had been completely healed. And I have this memory of that thinking to myself about healing hands and spiritual healing. Things that are just not available to us anymore. And I think back on how quiet she lived and how she was never moved by anything that was happening around her in the, in the room, whether it was somebody was upset and they were talking at her about her complaints and she'd just serve tea and sit there and listen, to the fact that she was closer to a, a historical truth that First Nations people have been really disconnected from, that perhaps she had some kind of juicy gift that was, you know, her birthright for being part of a lineage that was just so grounded and spiritual. I remember that being, it's a visceral memory of her. taught me how to cultivate traditional medicines and my mom and my aunt healed through traditions through first nations ceremony I was always taken out to pick sweet grass or uh, collect medicines for ceremony and that was totally normal growing up with my mom I always recall prayer And this reverence that I was really lucky to have experienced really early on. Like I remember when I was young, I would go out for my own walks and I would just stare at the sunset or the mountain range. Because I lived in Whitehorse, I had access to pristine, untouched hikes. I was making my own path. And I would just cry. I would just wail for the state of the planet. And that was when I was, like, younger, like 12 or maybe 11 And or... I just knew the planet was suffering. What could I do for Mother Earth? And I was a rigorous recycler and, like, anything that I could get my hands on in terms of how do we help. It kind of ended there. I moved to the city and I just got really disconnected. And whenever I'm with my mom, we go wildcrafting and we pick some medicines and we make our offerings and I reconnect. And then I come back to the city and I'm like, going for drinks and dinner in Yelltown. I just have these two separate worlds, very urban, live in the city, and then I go back and... My mom's in White Horse and even though it's not a town, it's kind of a city, I recall the value of that connection to the land and this relationship that I felt deeply moved by. I have a huge reverence for mother meaning in my day-to-day existence. I'm a woman and I'm turning 40 and what have I done? Who am I? I've been doing hair and aesthetics and working in these environments that are, they're not really healthy, you know? Like, I mean, I do it because it's my job and there are other options. You can get like hair care products without any alkaline and uh, no chemicals and they're, but they're just replaced with other chemicals that work just as efficiently. If you're going to replace ammonia with something else, it's something very strong. (laughs) In order to change the color of your hair, it needs to be. So you're rinsing these things down the sink, using a ton of foils, all these aluminum foils. And there's all kinds of alternatives. It's just trading one evil for another. And then there's skincare products, even the natural stuff. You know, they put it through processing that... I don't know, they put everything in a Petri dish and just take out all of these properties out of these plants. And in my mind, I was just like, this has got to be a better way. I spent like a year or two actually only using things in terms of skincare that I could buy at a grocery store. So if I couldn't eat it, it wouldn't go on my skin. Like at the baseline, it was oil, sugars, and salts, and then you can get clay. So now I've branched out. I don't just buy stuff at the grocery store now, but I order clay and ground pumice stone and make scrubs and make masks and all these kinds of things I thought there was something really interesting about being able to make something something outside of myself I feel like a lot of the stuff I've worked with it's a service or it's a consulting it's intangible a product somehow just sparked my interest And I like to challenge myself, and I've never manufactured anything before. So I was like, okay, so here I am. I'll learn something new. I'll incorporate all the things I know, practically in trades, and then in terms of my lineage and my background, and then bring it and create something that might actually shift someone's mind or impress somebody. The importance of of self-care without chemicals. So when I made this business, it was like I was trying to marry these two worlds and do something educational at the same time. And so I wildcraft, and I have no idea where that might land with people, because it's very trendy right now about clean foods and getting back to like our relationship to the land. But for me, it goes a little deeper than that. I named my business, and the value statement means walk in beauty. It's very breathy. There's lots of H's, and there's like W and I, but it's not the sound. It's really, it holds like a pause, or a space, or a place that you would open your throat. Just loves talking about First Nations trauma. Maybe helping me remember the good stuff. And making that like normal. Yeah, your successful relationships are all around you. Successful ventures are all around you. Um, Projects of love complete and that's possible. I want reminders of that. My ancestral history, I'm not carrying any guilt or shame around the state of my communities at the moment. There's a lot of healing to do and that shame and guilt has no place there none whatsoever yeah just kind of like telling the story and claiming your pride the resiliency and move forward and manage to create equity community rich stories and history anyway I just see it that way and I would just really love to learn from it and share in that kind of clarity.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope the story has helped you reflect on the potential for healing within your own lineage. If you have a story you would like to share on the Heal Story podcast, visit us at www.healstory.com. Wow, how was that pilot episode for you? This is our pilot season of Heal Story, and we need your support to keep growing this storytelling platform. At patreon.com backslash healstory, you can learn about all the special perks of becoming a subscriber, from the private discussion groups to early access to new episodes, powerful interviews with thought leaders in the ancestral healing world, and much more. Join this movement, and let's make all of our ancestors proud. Thank you. And take care.